Hi, everyone, and welcome to Just a Fad Podcast. I'm Blaine, and my buddy Greg and I are just two foster and adoptive dads excited to talk with other dads about faith, family, and fatherhood. Oh, and uh, Blaine, don't forget about the dad jokes. Uh, yes, there'll definitely be plenty of dad jokes as well. This is Just a Fad. All right, well, I think we've got a great episode for you today. I'm glad you guys are tuning in to Just a Fad. This is the kickoff of season three. And so we've brought Brian Adams, uh, who is a foster dad, to join us and talk a little bit about his journey and his family. Um, But specifically, one of the things we're going to get into is really just some of the fears and hesitations around, especially the foster care world, um, because I think that's just a really important issue for families, especially as families are getting started. What do you think about that, Greg? Do you think that's a big deal or? Yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of fear. There's a lot of misconceptions. Most of the time when you talk about foster kids, a lot of, unless they know somebody that's done this, then a lot of the foundation for what people believe is based upon televisions and movies. Yeah. Which are very accurate. And they're not accurate at all. (laughs) Okay. So uh, yeah. If that's all that your exposure to it, then yeah, you are scared for all sorts of not, right reasons. Or do you think it's going to go super smooth and easy for all the wrong reasons right, too? Right, right. So we've got to really, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things to be scared about and we're actually going to tell you what they are. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to be specific. <laughs> we don't want you to have uh, false fears or yeah. no fears. We'll and, give you the real ones on this and, podcast. And I think our hope in this too is, uh, especially this episode, is for um, dads and guys that are getting started. They're thinking about this. Maybe your wife's a little ahead of you on the journey. That's pretty common in these stories, Um, but we want to address some of the fears and some of the hesitations that guys might be thinking about. So we're going to get to that. I'm like, I'm getting ahead of us ourselves a little bit. So Brian, tell us a little bit about you, about your wife, your family, and to kind of introduce you and introduce your story. Well, I am Brian, Brian Adams, uh, not the singer. I'm not singing, right? It's not going to work. And uh, we could, if you really wanted to, we could I, find I'm a Brian lie. I'm a little disappointed right now. The funny thing, I was actually born in the summer of 69, so I'm aging myself. <laughs> Not that I've ever heard that joke before, right? That was on a billboard at my first job. Happy birthday, Brian Adams, summer of 69. So um, I'm, my wife is Jody. Uh, I have, a, I have a, an awesome wife who has been with me uh, 20 years last week. Oh, wow. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Congratulations. That's a milestone. And it is, really. And, and we dated for 10 years before that. Literally one month shy of 10 years was how long we dated. So we've been together for 30 years now. Wow. Holy cow. So uh, obviously we, we've known each other for a long time and haven't killed each other yet, and that's great. It so, might stick. Yeah. I think this right? one might yes. stick. Yeah, it might last. Might, it's, it's got, got success. Success. Last a while. That's right. yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's got a good track record. So, yeah. <laughs> so we've been a couple all that time. And, you know, we, uh, we've been very active in ministries, particularly youth ministries. Uh, yeah. That's where we uh, – we, we met through a mutual friend that was worked in youth ministry, um, and we got involved with that. And, you know, as soon as we became a couple, that became our passion as a couple. And that's one of the reasons why we didn't get married for 10 years. We were so busy doing youth ministry <laughs> that we we were like, well, well, we'll we'll get married when we get around to it, when we have time, you know, when all your vacations are summer camps and things like that. It's like, well, we'll do it. And um, But our passion was always children, which made it really ironic to find out that we weren't going to have children of our own, mm. you know? Yeah. I mean, so we're married all this time. We, we, we got married, you know, I'm over 30 now, and uh, 
the later it went, we realized it just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we started talking about adoption. Yeah. You know, and we had all these friends around us who had adopted. We had people who had adopted internationally and domestically. And why aren't you thinking about adoption? You know, it was just that situation. So it's good people ad- trying adoptive to talk family us. pressure. So I'm right, telling you. Right. Yeah. It was peer pressure. And, um, you know, little did I know, my wife was hearing it on the backside from, from her best friend, who was the maid of honor in our wedding, and who is also a longtime CPS worker. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she had been telling her for quite a while about all the needs there were locally, you know, all the children that were in the system, um, you know, thousands over the state of Kentucky currently. Yeah. And uh, so she had been talking with her about that. So. Yeah, when it came down to adoption, my wife told me that we were going to be foster parents. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it easy when it happens that way. Right? Yeah. Right. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, that's not a joke. She told me that we were going to, that's how we were going to, uh, to adopt, if we were going to look in that direction. And, uh, and so that did make it easy for me. Uh, it, it did come with some fears. You know, yeah. We'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, but, and, and sadly enough, I got my fears the right way. Because I talked with somebody high up in CPS. Like, I knew what I was getting into. Yeah. And so my fears were very well-founded, and uh, and it scared me. It scared mm. me to death. But uh, I trusted my wife, and I trusted God. So, you know. Yeah. But uh, How long was the journey when you guys got started? I mean, so she says, we're going to do this. And you guys just jump in, get started, do we the training. Went right through the training. You yeah, know, it was the I believe the twelve week training that we went through, and the FBI checks. The FBI checks took forever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, that that was the longest part of it. Um, but yeah, we went through the training immediately, and then just waited on all that to come back, and waited for them to open us open our home. So we really didn't. I'm glad that we didn't waste a lot of time or stop to think about it much because I may have <laughs> even been more fearful. Uh, it was like it was like we just dove in, you know. So yeah. And when you opened your home, did you open with the state or with a PCC? Or with the state. With the state. With the state. Right. Yes. I'm going to acronym check Greg here. PCC is a private child placing agency in a lot of places. So. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, like, it was the state. It was it was the state, and so, um, and yeah. So we you know we opened our home, and at 5:30 one night with our worker there. Doing the final paperwork, signing the things, and we got a call at nine thirty the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no waiting on this thing. Yeah, like, there was not a wait. I was not prepared for that <laughs> at, at all, and, uh, and and so much so, I'm like, I got to call you back. Yeah, like I, that was my thing. I have to call you back. Like I've got to talk to Jody about this, and so. And I think that's okay. Like I think if there is a lot of people early in the process listening. Like one of the things I always encourage families that are like just getting into this is pray throughout the process. Like I, I totally think it's okay to say, hey, we feel led to this. We're going to just get started because guess what? A, it's going to take a while. Go get your training. Go get those FBI checks. Go do the home study. Like that process is going to take a while. Be praying through the process about what you're open to, but also be willing to like go like, okay, we're going to take a minute because I think there's a lot of pressure sometimes when that first phone call comes and you're going to go, Oh, I guess we should say yes to this. It's like, it's okay to take five minutes. If they're in an urgency, they'll call somebody else. 
Like you're not the only foster parent in the state. Yeah, so and they are calling other people. Yeah, every even time. if they're yeah, telling like, you they're yeah, waiting, they're calling. Like, other okay, people. yeah, they're going to call and get. It's rare that the state has three yeses when they yeah. only needed one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they're going to keep calling. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I like the yeah, I got to take a minute and talk to my wife. That was always what we did too. Yeah. Was okay. Hold on. Let me call and we're going to talk through this and it. Just make that decision up front because it buys you that time to like, wait a minute, what do I really feel? How, how's this going to work? Right. Yeah. And you and you know a little bit, but not usually a lot about the scenario. Like it just depends where the kid's coming from as far as how much you might know about the story to even to even talk about and pray about. You may not know a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, we knew abs- absolutely nothing. Yeah. We knew it was a boy. That was it. We hey, it was a boy. You. You I've seen him awesome. get the gender wrong, so yeah. I think that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good thing. Yeah, yeah we we knew nothing about it, and it shocked us. I mean, I, I was not expecting a call at nine thirty the next morning. You yeah. know, they they told us to be patient. Right. And, well, that's not patient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Joe, I called Jody, and she's like, "You're you're joking me, right?" Like she didn't even believe me at first, and I'm like, "No, I'm I'm dead serious. Like we just got a call, and it's for a little boy." So. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was, that was interesting, Mm. you know, um, and I'm glad that I said, we said yes, right? Because that actually is my first son. That's cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it it was the start of a process and, you know, um, and I'm not going to lie to anybody that's listening to this. It is not a process for, um, for the week. It isn't. Yeah, it's a time. It's a, it. It consumes your time. I mean, you go from I went from zero to fatherhood in a matter of hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm in there checking the room to make sure that we've got everything that a baby needs. Yeah, right out of the gate, and uh, uh, so, and you know, from there, you know, the the mandatory doctor appointment. Like I'm call, I'm I'm on the phone that afternoon before I even have the child. I'm on the phone to a PD to a pediatrician right. getting appointments set up uh-huh. to get him checked out and um you know just trying to get all my ducks in a row uh, it 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 was startling yeah you know how did you guys make that work cuz i think that's a big jump for a lot of people to understand is like th- those first first 5 days first 2 weeks i think are pretty crazy for any almost any placement um, unless the placement's already coming from somewhere else, I think, Greg, is that what your experience would be like? Unless it's coming from another foster home or from a facility of some kind, like if it's a first placement, you've got to get a doctor's visit, sometimes a dentist appointment, sometimes, you know, like, I mean, quite a few things. Well, to yeah, if it's coming, if you're coming from some place where where they were already in the system in another location, yeah, it's, there's not as much urgency on that stuff, but you still need to transfer things in. Like, it's yeah. been... Like even if you don't have to go have the doctor's visit, there is the aspect of, okay, you're in this district which covers twelve counties. Yeah. How are you going to like? Where do we send the medical records? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where does what do we do? Have to go to school, register. Yeah, them. register yeah. for school. I mean, if they're school age, yeah, you've got to call the school and figure. So yeah, those first couple of days, I think for anybody, are crazy. Well, figure out. To be honest with you, that was the one thing we were pre- prepared for. I, <laughs> I was so blessed. Um, I was personally blessed because my wife and I both work in education. Um, she works for the state of Kentucky, and, and at that time, she worked for the state board of education. And uh, and her job has evolved a little bit since then. I my job's evolved too. Uh, I'm I'm basically 
I could say I'm a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. You know, but at that point, I was teaching college courses, hmm. and my I had a lot of flexibility in my scheduling and things like that. I had flexibility to schedule around my classes. Yeah. And so that's exactly what I did. I scheduled as many things around my classes as I could. Got those doctor's appointments in, um, scheduled vis- visitations. Yeah. You know, when those started with, with the mom, um, I, I, I scheduled those around my classes. And I basically, that's all that I did. I yeah. taught those courses and I took care of the, took care of the boy. Yeah. And that was great. That yeah. was awesome to be able it, to do. And I think it's just for every family, it's just something to think about. Like, well, how, how are we going to do this? Like, how are we going to figure this out? Getting into it, and, you know, getting started. I did something pretty similar because I was a college professor when my son came home and it was helpful. Like it worked for our schedule. We didn't have to find a ton of babysitting because we only had to cover a few hours when I was teaching. And then the rest of the time, like me and Caleb just hanging out, you know, and doing what we needed to do. But yeah, it's just, you you have to figure out what is going to be our rhythm as a family. Um, and sometimes that can work in a situation where the wife can do a lot. But if you've got two working parents, somebody's got to figure out how to juggle a little bit of their job, especially in the first couple of weeks as things are happening. But even ongoing, like you said, visits are going to start, like things are going to be in place. That's going to be a regular part of the routine for these kids. You know, and I think, um, to your point, I think a lot of legislation has changed. I can't speak for every state, but um, I think that they're offering like FMLA benefits Mm -hmm. to um, when you first get a placement so that you have that time to to get set up and you you can go through those initial court dates and, you know, which will happen Mm -hmm. right? and uh, and things like that. And that's great to be able to take. Right, for sure. Yeah, Um, a lot of companies now are recognizing maternity and paternity leave for adoption and for, I think, I think even foster care in some cases. So it's a good thing to just kind of be aware of and communicate. Like a lot of people kind of do this. I remember our, our friends, uh, in Texas that kind of introduced us to foster. I think I've talked about them on the show before. Um, they were doing the whole process and really hadn't told anybody. And like, we went over to their house and they had another kid. And we were like, what happened here? <laughs> like, there's four instead of three, and I don't think she was pregnant. So what's going on? So, you know, you got to just communicate, like, to your to your friends, to your work, and, you know, say, this is what we're getting ready to do. Like, just can you, you know, can we work it out? Like, it's going to be a little hectic the first couple of weeks. I think it's good Well, and good one advice. great thing is, is, you know, when they're going through, when they're in your care, but they're in foster care, they are required to be in a daycare. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if they're uh, below school age, yeah. so they're required to be in a daycare, you, I, I would, any parent that's getting into this, you need to look into what CPS offers in your area because I, I know here in Louisville, you can actually get um, CPS to transport yeah. sometimes if it's visitations. They'll either transport mom or baby right uh, to those if you can't make it. So, and that's a great thing. I, yeah, I never, I never had to do, to do that, that really, yeah. Yeah. but it, that option is available. And yeah. so, uh, so those are great things to take advantage of. It's, and, and it's really good to know that. So you don't feel overwhelmed with how do I get to this? You know, <laughs> how do I, how do I take on all these things yes. when there are some things in place that can help you? Yes. That's and good. to know that sometimes I don't have to take off my job, right? right. I, there's going to be somebody qualified there that's supervising it. And yeah. so I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. That's good. That's good. So you, I can't, can't, can't stress enough either, Blaine, what you said about just communicate with folks. Because yeah. like the entire time that we were in, in foster care, the majority of my time that we were in the foster care world, 
I worked for the city and I bounced around to like different departments, different jobs. I got promotions and, and made lateral moves and stuff like that. And every single supervisor that I had when I sat down with them was like, okay, here's what you need to know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you just, let's throw this out there. This is going to get weird sometimes. Yeah. And without a doubt, there's been, I I'm going to be mentioning a kid's name from time to time that you haven't heard before. Right. And that's just part of it. Or you need, like, it was always the, you need to be prepared that I will always check my text messages regardless of what meeting I'm in. Because if it's a message that says we got called for a placement, I'm going to have to have a conversation. Yeah. And I haven't, I didn't, I mean, oh shoot, probably like eight different jobs while I was at mm-hmm. the city and never once did I have anybody that was like, oh no, don't, don't do this. Half the time I had to tell them to chill out a little bit. Just, okay, no, it's cool. I've got this. We're fine. <laughs> yeah. Like no, they were more worried were, about they're, you they're than you were freaking out. And yeah. I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to go pick up two kids that I've never met before and I don't know their names. I'm fine. <laughs> you need to calm down. Okay. You're freaking me out. So yeah, yeah we had that, we had that kind of situation a few times too, but yeah. just yeah. over communicate, over communicate, over communicate. And people generally, I mean, nobody wants to be the person. I was like, yeah, I was a real jerk because these kids were in need. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. to your point, I, you know, regardless of what your belief system is, uh, I don't think anybody looks down on someone who's taking in somebody else's children in need. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. absolutely. And so they're they're absolutely willing to help yeah. any way they can. They want to see you succeed. Uh, it's it's just about communicating. And I think it's another we've talked about on this podcast numerous times. Like what what I love seeing, what I think what inspires me about being around foster and adoptive dads is that the majority of them are are all in on this life too. That it isn't like. Yeah, my, my wife told me we're going to do this, and so she's doing it, and I'm just here for the – like, you've got to be all in on this thing in, in ways that n- that need your time, needs your attention, even if it's just the text message at work that you're going to have to stop and make a phone call about. Like, knowing that, like, I've got to be prepared for some of those things I think is, is just good. Like, you, you've got to be involved, and that's an important piece of it. So, yeah, so your first placement turns into – your son that you were able to adopt. Absolutely. Where'd the, where'd the journey go from there? Uh, we had a we had a little girl. It took two and a half years to adopt the first one mm-hmm. because of visitations and court dates and you know, uh, and that's not that unusual. Yeah, that's why I said it's not a process for the faint. No. Yeah. Um, we had a little girl in between, and she went back to mom after about eleven months, and then um, not long after that we got our third placement and that would be my second son mm-hmm. Brandon That's so cool. it took him about a took about a year and a half to get him adopted yeah so so yeah and at least for the moment we're done <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to say that on recording um, <laughs> so, there is my, a record of it knowing somewhere. that my wife will listen to this at some point we're, we're done for the moment but you know you don't know where God calls you yeah. you know what God puts on your heart and uh and so it would not shock me still having friends in the, the CPS system yeah. if we got a call one day that says, would you consider reopening your home for this? And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of an open conversation for a lot of folks in different ways for different reasons. So um, that's good, man. It's uh, I, I love your story. I think, you know, we, we kind of brought you on in particular because you and I, Brian, have talked a little bit about this, and we brought it up a little bit in some previous episodes of just – what are some of the hesitations and fears 
that people have, uh, especially around the foster care world. We're going to stay specific to that. I think we could have a whole different conversation about domestic adoption, international adoption. Um, But foster care has its own kind of nuances that we want to focus in on. Um, but I think it's helpful for especially, like like I said, the audience that might be listening that are brand new. Or if you're in it, I think I think probably through this conversation we're going to bring up some stuff that maybe you haven't thought about that is something in the back of your head that you need to talk about and you need to think about. Um, so, yeah, so we want to talk about just what are some of those fears, some of those hesitations that people might have. Um, so I know you have some to share, Brian, and I'm sure Greg and I will throw in our two cents here. And we, we are – I've got at least six cents. At least six cents. <laughs> at least on six you? cents worth yeah. of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got a list going. Yeah. So you kick us off, Brian. What's what was one that you kind of walking into it? One of the fears and hesitations you had about well, stepping in. I think the first one was a fear that every every dad would have. I, I was scared to be a father. Mm. I was scared that I would be incapable of taking care of their needs. Yeah. You know, at this point, I'm over forty years old. Um, and so when the kids are coming into your home, when the kids, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm over 40 now. Uh, so I could do the math. I'm thinking about how old I'm going to be by the time they graduate high school, get into college, get married. You know, at this point, I'm just hoping to live to the point that I see them married. Right. Yeah. Um, I I was afraid this this is not a visual medium. I just want to point out for our audience that can't see Brian. Brian is way more fit than either Greg or (laughs) I. So his worries about this are. Yeah, you're going to be fine, dude. Okay. Like, I mean, I don't know. Do you skydive or something? Because maybe that's a concern. I mean, like extreme sports. I happen to know he runs a whole lot more miles a week than I do, for sure. Uh, You can't always judge a book by its cover, and you never know what. You never know when God has yeah. has predestined totally your time true, to be. But yeah, so. yeah. Um, but I, I, I was really afraid that I wouldn't be able to take care of their needs, and especially if they had special needs. Yeah. Um, you know, but God has a sense of humor about these things. Uh, my wife had such a great career, and she traveled a lot with her career. She made money. She had awesome insurance, um, and it would be awesome family insurance for us. Uh, it was clear in my position that if somebody's career hopes had to go, that would be mine. Mm. And I end up being the primary caregiver. Mm. Yeah. And so um, I think God took what I kind of feared there and put it right in my face mm. and said, here you go. Yeah. And, and that was awesome. That was awesome. I, I uh, you know, changing your first diapers, you know, that's an experience. You know, to tell you how much, to how settled <laughs> I was in my life, I had to sell my car. I had a two-seater. It was illegal to have a child in my car. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually had to buy a four-door sedan. It just kind of sacrifices. a sports car, right? Uh, and uh, and uh, I've never regretted that. But, yeah. you know, it was a change. It was yeah, a big right. change. And so I, I, I went from this... Um, um, this guy who had never had these responsibilities and, and, you know, I liked other people's children cause you can hand them back really quick yeah. and, uh, to having two of my own that I am in charge of. And, you know, my wife traveled so much at one point she left for two weeks straight. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. And this yeah. was, this was, uh, this was before we had gotten both children adopted. I'm, I had two boys Yeah. and I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to, but I did it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We did it. Right. And it was fine. Um, but that's a real fear. And I understand, you know, if you fear being a father at all, whether it's a baby the natural way or an adopted baby, I get that. Yeah. Um, and so it's just one of those instances where God grows you through that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of times what I would, when I was, you know, talking with people that are thinking about fostering, thinking about adopting, I think 
I think there's that fear and hesitation of like, well, we don't know what we're going to get into. And my, one of, a lot of my response to that is always like, even if you had kids by birth, you don't know what you're going to get into. Like there's so much unknown and so much that you can't know about what a kid's personality is going to be like, medical things that might come up, like just life in general that you're just, that's, that's just parenting Mm -hmm. in general. I think sometimes we put this focus on the foster and adoption world that, oh, because I'm choosing this, there's somehow more unknown about it. It's almost not as much. Like, honestly, you might, you can, you can have some expectations of what these kids have gone through and what they might need in ways that you wouldn't even know for biological kids, I think in some ways. I don't know. That makes sense to me, but it doesn't always sell people on it, but it's, that's what I say. I don't know. I think I disagree with you. Like you're going to disagree with me. <laughs> I, I think I, I do. Like yeah. I like it. I do. I mean, just because like there's been no, like the number of unknowns in becoming a dad for the first time, it's astronomical. And, but when you, when you bring in kids that are just show up for the first time, like you get a call at nine thirty, and then they're here. Like, Something's happened to them that you don't know anything about. Yeah, and yeah, you're going to be unraveling that for the rest of your yeah. life. And it's you know, something that wouldn't right. probably have happened in your home, right? Yeah, if that were your yeah. baby, it would not have happened. Yeah, and so that's I'm going to own I was wrong. On yeah. That yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. It's, and it's just it, it, it's not like it's not like it's a small amount of unknowns on either front. <laughs> really yeah, 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 yeah. But there's unknowns being, on both sides. Yeah, but you're but, right that like you do know that. Some stuff happened. Something happened mm-hmm. in this story, and we may never know the full spectrum for their life. You're, yeah, you're not going to know the details, and you're 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 not going to know the details of what did happen, and you're probably not going to know the full ramifications of how it impacts them for years to come. Yeah, like you may not know. I mean, they they may be able to talk about something when they're in their twenties and have moved out of your house, and that's when they're like, "Yeah, I still remember back when this took place and all this," and it just. Something that they never really talked about and you didn't know how to impact on them, it may have. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. And you, you know, you guys are, are talking about this. And I, I have to, I, I told Blaine this just less than an hour ago. Yeah. When we were getting here, we were talking about I this. was so ashamed of something that I feared going into this process that I didn't even talk to my wife about it. <laughs> like, I, I, until, until I actually was preparing, you know, and thinking about what, you know, thinking about our conversation tonight, I had never talked to my wife about it. And, you know, my, my oldest son is nine years old now. Yeah. Um, so this was so deep. And, and what you guys are talking about is that uncertainty. And I was afraid that I was going to receive damaged goods. Mm. And I call me cruel, call me heartless. I have never been a person. I don't know how I would deal with a special needs child or yeah. truly special needs child. Right. Um, I've never had, that's not where my heart is. Uh, it, um, it freaks me out. Mm. And you know, when you, I think when you and your wife have a baby the old fashioned way, what do you pray for? You pray for that the baby will be healthy and it'll be happy, mm-hmm. right? You don't dare ask God for anything more than that, but you say healthy and happy. If you give me those two things, we're, we're great. Mm-hmm. So knowing where these kids came from, you know, that they're not going to be healthy or happy. Yeah. Right. And, and I didn't know how true that would be until I met my first son, you know, who, who, uh, who smiled, the biggest smile at me the first time he saw me, I, you, but you didn't, I didn't know what was in his background yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had no idea what, 
just to give you a little bit, I mean, we got him when he was six months old um, to the day. And uh, uh, he had been, he had suffered uh, unbelievable neglect. Hmm. Um, and as we found, we didn't even know the extent of it. We took him to that first doctor's appointment and he was termed failure to thrive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I asked, what, what does that mean? He's well, two to three weeks and he'd been dead. Hmm. Like this child is starving to death. Wow. And so, um, and not just that, you know, he's, he's looking all over him and he's got, he's got permanent scarring from diaper rash. Yeah. How long do you have to sit in a diaper to have that kind of diaper rash? You know, on the back of his head was perfectly flat and shaped, and they knew that he'd been sitting in a car seat almost his entire life. <laughs> yeah. So she just put him in a corner, and he got food when he could. Yeah. And so he comes in with this emotional baggage of, uh, for one, he didn't know. I think he knew how to cry. But he didn't. He knew that it didn't mean anything if you did. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. If I cry and scream because I'm hungry or my diaper's full or whatever, nobody's coming. Yeah. And so we had this baby that's six months old that never asked for anything, mm-hmm. never cried for his needs. Hmm. Yeah. And I think I. I, I mean, I, I. remember having conversations with people who were who were fostering, especially you know, and and others would come over to like babysit or do something with them. Man, you're, this baby's so great. They're so quiet. Like they never cry, never do this. And you're like, yeah, that's not a good thing. Like, yeah. you know, and it's, it's proven. I mean, within 60 days, kids will stop crying if there's no response and no responsiveness to them. And so like kids just learn like that doesn't do anything. The whole point that a kid cries is to get a caregiver's attention so that they can get needs met. But if that cycle breaks down, right, that attachment cycle breaks down, kids learn really quickly. Like their br- little brains forming so fast, they figure out, well, that doesn't do anything. So why bother? We would get well, people that were amazed by how strong and how, how like, muscular our, 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 our two little girls were. They're like, oh, my gosh, they can hold their heads up already. It's like, yeah, when you're born and immediately start detoxing, your entire body does, like, it's I, tense, you're, yeah. just, you're just doing, like, muscle flexes. So like six weeks in and you can do a push up to like almost a full plank as a baby. You shouldn't be able to do that. That's not normal. Yeah. 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 And it's those counter things that are like, you, you know, that's, that's not like, that's not typical development process. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's going to have its own factors moving forward for, for you and for them. Yeah. Man. Well, you know, it took a lot, it took a while to teach him that guess what? You can ask for what you need. Yeah. And, and, um, and you have to start to close that loop, right? You can yes. ask for what you need and will show up. Yes, exactly. You, if you ask, you will, you will receive it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the other thing that just was heartbreaking about that was watching him hoard food. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a baby that young try to hide food. If he had anything left over, he would try to hide it and save it for later. Mm-hmm. And so that tells you what went on at his home. Yeah. If he ever had anything left over, you know, he saved it for later. Yeah. And you know that's a six month old baby. Yeah. So yeah. it breaks your heart. And and uh, on the on the surface, he smiled. He was so happy to just be picked up and loved in your arms, getting that attention. And and you know that's one of those things that I so value about. You know, God put me in that position of being the primary caregiver. I had the chance to bond with my son mm-hmm. and to be the one that held him. Yeah. Right. Every night. And so that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. So, 
but I, I was really afraid of that. And, you know, um, it got worse because, you know, it, it wasn't just the neglect, but the other side of that coin, if we got a baby, we knew that it was probably going to be a drug baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had this little girl in between. She was born on a lot of heroin. Um, and and she, she had a lot of issues. Uh, she was very challenging uh, those first 11 months. Um, and little did I know it was all training for what was to come hmm. uh, because – my youngest son, Brandon, he, um, well, the only thing she wasn't taking was NyQuil. And I, <laughs> I mean, wow. he was born on so many, he was born on a drug that's supposed to keep you from taking all those drugs, yeah. right? You know, Suboxone yeah. is really big in the streets and he, and he was loaded with it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he spent the first month in the NICU. And honestly, when we, the first time we saw him was a few days before he was, was released, um, he looked like he should have died. Mm-hmm. I've, I've never mm-hmm. seen a more horrific looking baby. It's a, it's amazing to see those early pictures and where he is at today. You yeah. Know? Um, but knowing how addicted he was, um, in the first, you know, the first three months we sat up, I sat up on a couch holding him all night because he couldn't really regulate his own body systems yet. Mm-hmm. And he would had the, he had the shake so bad. Uh, still from the withdrawals that he would wake himself up and scream and cry. And the only thing he could do was use me for heat and my, and my heartbeat. Yeah. And so I didn't get a lot of sleep. I was so afraid I was going to roll over on that baby, you know, fall asleep right. and roll over. Uh, but once again, I was blessed to not have a schedule. By that point, I really had cleared out my schedule. And so uh, I, I was a stay-at-home dad. And uh, if I was up all night, I was up all night, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm. But um, in both of them, I was so afraid that they were going to be permanently damaged goods. And the fact is, is if you saw them and you met my, you've met my kids, yeah, right? Yeah. Would you ever know that there was anything wrong with them? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. You know, it, it was amazing to see God heal them. Right. Uh, permanently. And, and it's the beauty and the, like, elasticity of the brain and of the body that, like, they're, they're still, I think, is still the potential. I mean, as we just talked about, right, there's stuff that may come out in their teens and twenties, right. That they process with a therapist that they have to deal with that are, can be ongoing stuff. But there's also the reality that like God designs our bodies in such a way that like you, you can establish that attachment bond. Like you can close that loop. Like you can, that kids can overcome some of those early hurdles in really incredible ways, which is just amazing. Um, but it takes, Time. I mean, uh, what I've heard you talking about, Brian. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of time, a lot of dedication, a lot of commitment, a lot of you know, just continually showing up. And I think that's just important to like walk into it, knowing, hey, that's what I'm walking into. Like, I know I have this fear of what they might be coming with, but I know that because I have that fear, and I know it's a real fear, I also have to walk in with the equal amount of commitment and dedication too. I think if that makes sense. Well, and, and I might be a bit fatalist on this, but I assume like we've got three adoptive kiddos and two biological kids, and I assume they've all got problems. Mm. Like e- even the ones that that we we built the old fashioned way, like they're being raised by me. I know me. <laughs> like, they, like oh my gosh, they, these poor children. <laughs> like, like, I am just passing along my own set of problems to them i'm just watching them like repeat itself so 
yeah, it's they're going to be interesting at parties when they're older. But yeah, I just, yeah. that was also, that was a, a sentiment that actually was freeing to me. Was that hey, what's going to go on with these kids? I don't know. They're they're at least going to know why they're messed up. <laughs> My mm. oldest son doesn't know why he's so crazy. Well, you got that natural, son. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I gave that to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a thing. You you, you just I think you you own that hesitation. You own that fear and admit, yeah. it's highly likely walking into this that we're going to see some issues and some challenges, but we also know that it's a lot of it is, can be overcome and a lot of it's going to take time and energy. So, well, and for me personally, you know, that's what I needed. I needed for God to put my fears right in my face. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it reminds me, I read this verse not too long ago, Matthew six, eight, you know, God knows what you need before you even ask him. Mm -hmm. And I needed that. Yeah. I would have never prayed for God to bring those fears into my life, right, and to confront me that way. But looking back on on this experience um, and being a father now, I'm I'm glad that He did, right? Yeah. Because fear turns to strength, mm-hmm. and uh, and I you know I'd do anything for those kids. So. Mm. Mm. That's but, cool. Um, All right, yeah. so we had the the kind of just the fear of kind of just parenting in general, just being a father, I think was your, your first one. And then the fear of kind of what, what's going to be the needs, what's going to be the, the situation status of these kids coming into your home. What was other fears that you had, other hesitations? You oh, had? big one. And you know what? This is really particular to foster care. So anybody is considering foster care, you, this is something to think about. I was so afraid of becoming emotionally attached to a child and watch it go back to mom. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had this little girl. Uh, she was such a beautiful little girl. She um, and we really it. She melted our hearts. She had these big blue eyes and uh, she was very clingy. Right. She always wanted to be up in daddy's arms, so to speak. And. Um, wow. You know, it. We were glad for mom that she got cleaned up. Mm hmm. But in the meantime, you've got this child that's your child, basically, that you're caring for in your home. And uh, as it came closer to that time, we knew from about seven months on that she was going to go back, that we were just basically helping uh, get her healthy and get her into some programs that would would address her special needs, make sure that was in line. And that's a big, you know, if you know that a child's going back, anything that you can do to help mom future forward, anything you can do to help the child if they have special needs, get them into uh, like, you know, Head Start programs, things right. like that. Right. That's awesome to get set up mm-hmm. because, you know, when, when the court gives them back, they mandate those things that they, to mom, that they stay on. That's a priority. And so um, we knew we were just preparing for that situation. Did it lessen? Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the heartbreak, uh, not really. And, and, you know, it's not just us. It's extended families. Sure. You know, my uh, my kids have two sets of grandparents that are still married, right? Uh, they still see all the time. They've seen both of them this week, right, mm-hmm. uh, multiple times. And uh, and so grandparents will fall in love with yeah. children that will eventually yeah. go back. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so uh, it was a co- it was a collective cry. But I, you know, and I was I was afraid of that, right? You know, um, I guess 
with what we're talking about, I look back now and I realize that she was really what I needed to be able to deal with the special needs of the one that was to come. Mm. It was a preparation, in, it in was. fact, for I what you were going to see. Yeah. I would have been so overwhelmed by Brandon's needs. I, I don't know that I could have done it. Mm. Um, but dealing with her and how addicted she was, uh, we had at least par- – I had part of that process with her, yeah. you know, uh, an experience. Um, it, it was really um, – I mean that was uh, that was that was what I needed to train me mm-hmm. and to be and to equip me to be able to deal with that. Yeah. So, um, and it was funny because uh, we after she went back, we were so distraught. I'm like, you know what? I just don't want to get a call for a while. How about I'll call you when we're ready? <laughs> and uh, we we went on vacation over Christmas break. You know, uh, we thought that would give our uh, son kind of a break there. You know, he, she went to visitation. She never came back, right? Mm-hmm. We were hoping that that would help him forget a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we get a call one day, and uh, and it was an apologetic worker. I know <laughs> you didn't want to get a call. <laughs> <laughs> but we're calling anyways. But we have this baby, and, uh, and it's probably a, she called it a slam dunk adoption because mom had... Um, walked out of the hospital on day three. Hmm. Um, she was hurting. You know, she wasn't getting the drugs that she was taking before. And so yeah. she walked out and she was refusing contact. And um, and it was her, believe it or not, fifth child removed between mm-hmm. her and the, and the paternal dad. Um, so every indicator was that this child was going to be adopted at some point. And, uh, but the reason why they really called us was that this child was going to have... Sp- special needs because of how addicted he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't want to keep in the NICU for, you know, two, three months. Yeah. And they felt like we would be equipped to, to deal with that when yeah. he came home. Yeah. And so, you know. And it's that preparation. Like, I th- and I think a lot of families too, I think, you know, I think it's uh, what I've talked with a lot of families about is it's, it's okay to go in and say, hey, this is where we're starting but that inevitably that experience of that first placement, second placement, like it's also going to, I think, open you up to here's what we can do. Like, and that's what I hear in your story, Brian, is like, like that second placement opened you up to like, oh yeah, we can do that. Like we're, we're going to be okay. We know what, we know we can handle more than we thought we could and we can do it. It's not easy. It's still hard. It's still difficult, but we know we can do it. And I think it's okay. Like you don't have to sort it all out when you start. And you can say like, hey, for now, I think this is what we can do. And maybe that is, and that, that's your capacity. But I think you also, as you get into it, you get more comfortable with just how the system works and what's required and what a kid with, you know, with drug addiction might need and what some different programs and resources that are in your area that you can use if, you know, if you get those things and you go, well, we know how to do this. Like we get better at it. And the next one benefits from all those things we learned from the last one. And, and I think that that too can kind of open up people up to more possibilities and, and different kinds of things uh, that they're available to. And your heart changes too. Yeah. Like everything yeah. about the way your heart looks at the families. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned bio families and when we first started fostering a biological families scared the crap out of me. Everything about them was like, okay, are they going to think that, are they mad at me? 
are they gonna are they gonna yell at me? Is this adversarial? Do they are they just, are they gonna like everything around the biological family just freaked me out. And after well, I mean, probably seven years, um, bio families were absolutely the reason we kept going. Mm. Like it became a thing where the biological family, like the baby, we started this focusing on the children and that we're here for the children and to take care of these children. And then probably around the last third of our time as foster parents, we were more, we were more for the biological families. Like our heart was for them. Just, man, we really wanted to see a reunification and it happened so infrequently. Yeah. And, but when it did, it was always amazing because we like, we, we saw it so not often <laughs> that yeah. it became this thing that you're like, oh, come on, come on, stay clean, stay clean, stay clean. No, okay, do your classes, come on, make phone calls, call a doctor, get your stuff taken care of, and you're just rooting for this person so much that when you actually get to go and drop that child off, it is it is a huge celebration of your heart getting ripped out of your chest, but you're excited about it. Yeah, well, so, so and it is bizarre. bizarre. It, yeah. It's bizarre because it, you go from anger, like, how could you do this to this baby, right? Mm-hmm. How, what what kind of person can do this to a baby? And you go from that to, to loving on them and trying to, to grow them and to groom them to be a parent, right? Yeah. The parent that you that you would want them to be. Yeah. And so... Um, that, that's, I think there's a verse about that, something about love your enemy or something. I think that's in scripture somewhere, but yeah, I mean, I think it oh, is. I'm it's, sure it's in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure I could find it. Yeah. Um, love Jesus, yeah. love others. That's yeah. It. Yeah. That's yeah whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he boiled it all down to two things. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think, but you're right on. Like it, it, it does have to flip the script on how am I thinking about this? How am I approaching this? And 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 I think you know again it can evolve. You 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 start it with one thing in mind and realize, hey, this is there's a win in here too. It doesn't it does not take away. I mean, I, I don't. I if you're if you're walking into this and going, well, I'll just I will just keep a little bit arms distance and we'll keep our our heart protected so that that we don't get too attached and we not going to happen. A yeah. if you are doing that you're a not going to be a very successful parent for that kid and what they need because they need somebody all in because they need to attach. They need to connect. They need to have those needs met and they're going to have some big stuff going on. And if you're at arm's length from them, man, it's going to be rough and and unsuccessful. So you've got to be all in and just know that like you're all in and your heart's going to get broken too at some point. Yeah. Gonna all happen. of your preconceived notions are going to get destroyed too. Yeah. Because well, I mean, we had foster kids in our house where the home that they came out of was a very, very wealthy, very well off like family. Parents didn't have to work because they had inherited enough money that they just could do whatever they wanted. And that was, that was the life they came from. There was nothing that they didn't need. And then we had, kids that came to us where we went to different trailers in a trailer park mm-hmm. over the course of the three months because they, they couldn't, they couldn't stay in the same trailer long enough because it was just, it was, there was not a good way to live. They were bouncing around yeah. from a different family member in the trailer park. And the consistent thing is that the kids all wanted the, their parents back. Yeah. They wanted that connection back. They wanted to go back home to their family and, 
didn't matter what I thought the, the best part of their life was going to be or what I could provide or how better this was or how it should have been. They all wanted that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that is one advantage of adopting so young is that they will never remember that experience. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean, as I've already found out, they're not going to ask a million questions. Yeah. You yeah. know, and they're going to want to understand the family that they came from. They're going to want to know the background. They're going to, they want to know why they are not with their mom and dad. And, and they don't want you to sugarcoat it. Mine doesn't anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had to tell him the truth. And, yeah. uh, and that was a difficult conversation. Uh, I would add that to the list of fears, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And to have that conversation with your child one day and just know that it's coming. And it, I, it's there. I mean, it's, it's there in their psyche. It's there in their heart. Like, I mean... I can't, I mean, one of my encouragements to anybody listening is as you're getting into this, start listening to adult adoptees because guess what? They'll tell you everything not to do um, in, in large sense and really be honest about like, hey, this is what I was looking for as a kid. Like I was wondering this, I was thinking this. And because my parents maybe weren't talking about it, I was imagining this as the possibility, right? And so it's it's in their heads regardless of when it happened and how little like they're they are thinking about Hey, why don't I match? Why don't I fit? Why don't I know that adoption is part of my story? What is that? Why is that? Why didn't it work? I mean, there's a thousand questions going through their heads and it comes out at different, it comes out in different stages. It comes out at different age points in different ways. Um, but yeah, it's, it's there no matter, I mean, how little it comes out at, at different points in well, certain ways. And you can't and shouldn't be afraid to talk about it No, because it doesn't mean, I think a lot of parents think that that means somehow they don't love them. Yeah. They don't see them as mom and dad. Far from it. Right. right? I'm I am dad to my boys. In in and the same way that you can equally love your boys, like you have no, like we are, we too often think love is like a bank, and there's almost so only so much money in my account, and that's not what it is. Like it's it's ever expanding capacity, right? So another kid comes into your family, you love that kid in a different way, but in a, as much way as the one you had before. And it's the same thing for kids. Like they can love as many parents as they know about in their story. You know, uh, I mean, I know numerous cases where kids have somebody that was identified for a long time as dad and found later that there was actually a different paternal dad and they still keep that dad in the list, you know, because, hey, that's that's still a person that I think about that I know cares about me and I care about them, right? There's no reason you can't add more people to that list. Um, and we all want more people in our lives that care about us and know us and see us for who we are. So yeah, I think it's a, it's an, it's a very regular fear, but man, you, you when I immediately flip the question, like, are you, would you love any of your next kids less? No. Well then there you go. Like that's how it's working for them too. Like it's a see, and that was, that was a, a, a fear I had. Yeah. Was, I mean, we had two biological kids in our house. We're going to start bringing in kids from outside of the house and and I had this okay am I am I going to feel am I going to love them as much as these two yeah you know like I know that I can I love both of my my bio kids but when these foster kids come in am I going to love them as well yeah and that that was that was hard and we I mean I mean if I'm being completely honest we had enough foster kids come through our house that there were some that were like, yeah, I don't love you as much as I love the other kids. You are, you, you're, you're kind of like, we should, we should find another place for you. Yeah. Like, and 
being able to just own that that's how you feel right now. Yeah. That's, yeah. and it's okay. It, <laughs> like is, it's, it is. It's okay to have that feeling. Because I think when yeah. you walk into it with the mentality that like we should be the perfect place for everybody, then you're walking in as the savior that isn't. Like right. you're, you can't save every kid. You shouldn't save every kid. And if you are bringing them all in thinking you can save them all, guess what? At some point, they'll overwhelm you and you won't be saving anybody. And so, every one of the times that we, we hung on longer than we should have, that's, I mean, like knowing that, okay, we should disrupt on this placement. This one just isn't working out. And we felt bad. Well, none of them went to a worse place. Yeah. They all went to a place that was so much better. And looking back on it, I'm like, I'm so like, why did I deny that for an additional three months? I should have gone yeah. ahead and just let that happen. Because what you learned about that kid, what the worker learns about that kid, what you can communicate about them sets them up for, okay, we know that your type of family wasn't a good fit. So we need to find this instead, which again, like yeah. you said, often becomes a better fit for, for those kids. We wow. were letting us focus on our no and we were robbing somebody else's yes. Yeah. Which, well, yeah, and it, and there's a false assumption wrapped up in there that the child is coming to your house, so God must intend for this child to always be in your home. Yeah, and you may be a stop along the way. Yeah, you know this may this may be part just a part of their journey, and yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. That's you're what, just you're just a chapter or a couple pages in their story. Like I think sometimes we just got to step back and look at the wider picture of the story that's being mapped out for this kiddo and go, okay, I, I might just be a small piece of the story and not the full story for them. And that's, that's okay. Like, it's okay to say, I trust that God knows more than I do. Um, and I, you know, I tell you that I think one of the hardest things that I've seen in the foster parents that I've connected with and worked with is trusting that social workers and judges and the other people involved also have good intentions for these kids. Like they do want the best for them. Does the system work perfectly all the time? Absolutely not, but no system does. But there are tons of them that they, they want the best. They want what's good and right for these kids. They want to see them be successful um, and trusting that they have that interest at heart too. Like you're not the only person that cares about this kid. There are others that, that care too. Good word. Yeah. Mm. I say I say that as, a, as an outsider <laughs> to a degree, but you know, yeah, um, that's easy to say from the outside. Yeah, it, it is. I, I totally get it. Like I, the system is super frustrating, um, and I think it is a fear and hesitation that people have. Is that like, well, for my for my bio kids in my home, I get to make all the choices and do whatever I want, and you know, parent them how I want, and all these kinds of things. And somebody else is going to be telling me what to do. Yeah, because somebody else cares about this kid too. Um, and that's good. The story, I, I often put it put it in the context of um, the story of the Good Samaritan in Scripture, that like we see that story and often we highlight the Good Samaritan in the story, that he's the one that stops, he's the one that repairs the, the guy's needs, like bandages him up and whatnot. I often read that story and go, I think the innkeeper doesn't get enough credit, that this is the guy that the, the Good Samaritan brought the guy to as the place to go, and that's the foster home in the hmm. story is that the good Samaritan is the social worker, the, the, the person in the system that stops and sees this kid. And all they're doing is the immediate, like, I'm getting you out of a bad situation. I'm going to take you to a better place that I happen to know is a real safe place where you can stay for a while and you can recuperate. 
but you're, you you may not be there for forever, right? Mm. That might not be a place, but I know this guy, I know this person, I know this place where you can go and be safe. And that's, that's your role in the story. But that good Samaritan cares just as much about that person to get him to that safe place. But that's kind of where you're at in the story. There's my little, that's my little Bible lesson for today. <laughs> I get on my flannel graph and uh, <laughs> teach that one sometimes. Do we have flannel graph, really? I don't, I don't think we do. Our podcast needs a bigger budget. <laughs> we ain't got flannel graph money. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, this is really good. Um, I, I, think, I think we've hit a lot already for people. You probably have more fears and hesitations if you're listening to this. Sorry about your luck. Uh, but I think we've, we've hit a lot of the big ones um, to get people started. My, my honest thing to say to people is you will not get it, rid of these things before you start. Like You just have to walk into it prayerfully. Like none of these things were things I think, Brian, you're admitting, like I didn't get rid of any of these things. In fact, one of them you said, like I didn't even vocalize it until very recently that this was a fear you had. I think you, you have to be willing to go, I've got a lot of fears, but I'm stepping into this thing. Well, Anyways. you know, I, I was I'm in the middle of another study and I read this verse and I, I thought, oh, how appropriate is that for this part of my life? Uh, it's First John 4, 18. It says there's no fear in love that perfect love cast out fear. And I mm-hmm. understand that one now because as I grew to love those little boys, everything that I feared went away. Mm-hmm. My fear, I, you know, it just, it turned to a fierce strength that only God can give. And, uh, and, and I became, I embraced not only my fears, but I embraced um, the, 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 the situation behind it, yeah. you know, that, that confronted me. And, uh, and looked forward to facing it, actually. Yeah. You know, it was, and knew was that a, love was going to overcome it, whatever yeah, that fear and, was. And uh, so I understand that. Uh, yeah. once, once I felt that perfect love for those little boys, I, I, I knew it was uh, the way it needed to be. That's good. Know? That's good. But, All right. We've been serious and heavy for a long time. I think we should tell some dad jokes. Right. I know Greg is like itching to tell dad jokes. <laughs> like he's been saving them up for like six months. I got to tell I you, think. I had to censor my jokes because in my house, we have, we have Alexa all over the house. <laughs> and my kids like to ask Alexa for every uh, flagellance joke there is. <laughs> so that's most of what I hear. So I, yeah. I censored some of those. Yeah. Can we, yeah. we can't tell fart jokes? No, we can absolutely yeah, tell, you fart can tell fart jokes. Yeah, you can it's tell okay. fart jokes. It's okay. It's okay. It's a dad podcast. Yeah, it's a dad podcast. If you're not telling fart jokes, <laughs> yeah. I don't know who you are. Uh, go, Greg. I, I know well, you're anxious. So. <laughs> very anxious. It's, it's been a long time since, it's been a long time we, since we've got I to mean, tell so dad jokes. I mean, since we've been doing podcasting, we've had to pick up other things. Like, I've been studying American Sign Language. Really? Yeah, I only know a handful of words. I kind of knew where that was going, but wasn't sure. Oh, that's really good. I, you know, I have a, I have another joke that kind of connects to that. You know, do you know where Captain Hook got his hook from? No, a secondhand store. Oh wow! <laughs> I like that those that tied in. Awesome. I got that good. one teed that's up, and it stuff. tied in well, anyway. Well done, yeah. Brian, did you bring? You've you censored him uh, a little bit, but yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, do you know why you can't trust trees? you can't trust trees I never depended on one but I don't know why because they're pretty shady <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that is accurate I like too that. yeah they are a little shady yeah, yeah. they're a little shady along the same lines you know why dinosaurs make horrible pets why is that they're dead <laughs> 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 
Very true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the tree one reminds me, like, my kids love, like, they can't ever tell it right. But the, you know, very common dad joke, like, what's brown and sticky all over? A stick. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, that's a quick one. Somehow, my six-year-old still can't tell that joke right. She's like, Dad, can you tell the stick joke? And I'm like, this is so basic, but it still works. We, we like number jokes, too. Like, why is six afraid of seven? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because seven, eight, nine. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a math joke. Here it comes. Good times. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky I got the beer tonight because I was supposed to cook dinner tonight. My mm. wife was my wife expected me to to make alligator for dinner. Alligator? Yeah, really? I said sure, not a problem. But when I started getting ready for it, all we had was a crock pot. <laughs> <laughs> you can't cook alligator in a crock pot. I mean, it I want... think you can. Yeah, <laughs> technically. But, but the joke doesn't work. If we, yeah. <laughs> if yeah. We yeah. Wow. Well, speaking of food, do you know where you go to learn to make banana splits? To make banana splits? I would think an ice cream shop, but I know that's Costa probably. Rica. Uh, Sunday school. Sunday school. <laughs> Man. Oh. If they were making banana splits at your Sunday school, we had the flannel graphs. Like. Yeah. Yeah, that was not in my Sunday school for sure. Man. Well, uh, I hope everybody's kept listening, even through our dad jokes. Um, and I hope that we helped address some of the fears and hesitations you might be feeling about fostering. Um, again, our encouragement is jump in, see what happens. Um, God can see you through a lot, a lot of stuff. And we're definitely examples of that here on the podcast. So uh, thanks, Brian, for being here. Thanks for sharing well, your story. Thank you for having us. And being for vulnerable with your, with your hesitations. And we will see everybody again next time on Just a Fad. Thanks for listening to the Just a Fad podcast today. Whether you're just getting started or have been on the foster or adoption journey for years, we hope that you got something encouraging or inspiring from our conversation. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, and we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email at justafadpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about some topics that you want us to talk about, share a dad win from your family, or just send us a dad joke. You can really tell that we like dad jokes. Special thanks to our intrepid sound engineer, Chris Millett, who made sure that we don't just sound like Ricky Bobby with a podcast here. And until next time, this is Just a Fact.